Today we look at the point-and-click mystery adventure Crowns and Pawns Kingdom of Deceit, which mostly takes place in Lithuania. Who's aware now? Yeah, even some characters in the game don't know what or where that is. That East European country shares a border with Poland, Belarus, Latvia and Kaliningrad. And it's the home country of the indie dev studio Tag of Joy, who made the point-and-click adventure Crowns and Pawns. I got the chance to talk to one of the founders, Sharunas Ledats, and he told me why they chose Point and Click, why they work together with a historian, and how Lithuania is like for indies. Now on Open Indie. Sharunas, nice to have you here on the show. Nice being here. <laughs> I'm uh, really still um, really flashed from your game, Crowns and Pawns, Kingdom of Deceit. Uh, that's your new game, which came out uh, this month, May 2022. Uh, it's a point-and-click mystery adventure, and I really like this kind of genre. And it's also a classic genre. Uh, so it didn't surprise me when I've read that you guys are really fans uh, of such classic adventures, like also Monkey Island and Broken Sword. And uh, I've read that some features of these games have inspired you while making your new game, Crowns and Pawns. Um, apart from them also being point-and-click adventures, how did they inspire you? The company, Tag of Joy, was founded by myself and uh, my brother. And uh, so we started playing uh, the same games at some point uh, when we were teenagers. And uh, we kind of... Pretty quickly uh, discovered adventure games, and so obviously they had a big influence on, on us, even our personalities, but also our professional life and <laughs> the games that we played uh, uh, later or we wanted uh, to make in the future. So um, I guess the games in that genre inspired us uh, in general, and of course they had a big influence on Crowns and Pawns. But uh, I would say that specifically Broken Sword was one of the uh, most influential games for this title because it has a lot of similarities in its narrative, in its storytelling, in its setting, because it's uh, Crowns and Pawns. Um, I, can, I can briefly tell you about the, the story itself. So it's, uh, it starts with Milda, a girl from Chicago, um, where... And she unexpectedly gets a letter uh, that says that her grandfather has died and she has inherited his house uh, somewhere in Lithuania uh, because her parents are from there and grandparents as well. So she kind of wants to go there and see what she got and maybe sell it and get some money. But uh, then she comes uh, to Lithuania and she is that someone uh, was looking for something at the house and then uh, she discovers that some bad guys are after something and she starts digging into it. Uh, she goes to various historical places like churches, museums, stuff like that, and finds some clues, uh, solves some puzzles, uh, travels uh, around Europe a little bit, and then uh, she may or may not find some historical relic or artifact uh, at the end of the game. <laughs> so, so yes, the, that, that story is, uh, I guess the, the storytelling is uh, quite a lot, uh, quite similar to Broken Sword because it also has real places but also some fictional places and real historical facts uh, but also some uh, fiction on top and some mystery on top and we did something very similar um as for other games like i know monkey island is obviously a, a comedic game but uh, i do think that it has inspired us a bit and we did put some uh, comedic lines in the game, even though the game is more on the serious side, but the dialogues have some humor, and our I guess our writer was definitely inspired by uh, by those comedic uh, point of group adventures as well. So, 
so yeah, I guess every every game uh, every game that we played inspired us a little bit and ended up uh, in this game one way or another. But um, also on top of that, we tried to innovate the genre a little bit and add some bits and pieces that haven't been done before or haven't been done before that often. Okay, which ones? Uh, so one of the more interesting ones uh, is that you can change the appearance of your uh, character. Uh, which is not very, uh, <laughs> very often in Bond and Glick adventures. And at first we thought that it's a fun feature, but we're a little bit uh, afraid that people won't like it. But we just went for it, said that uh, let's just base some puzzles on that feature and let's let players have fun with that feature. And when the game went out, uh, <laughs> we noticed that some players actually say that they didn't know that they wanted this feature b before they actually played this game. <laughs> Me too, I must say. I have to say, really. It's uh, it's something where I was... When I read it, that you can change your clothes, I was like, okay. Um, is that so important? <laughs> well, for some, for some puzzles, it actually is. But um, still, I really had much fun with this. Uh, always when I went... Uh, by the wardrobe, I always changed my clothes to look different. <laughs> well, I guess that's 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 something that quite a lot of players uh, did with the game, and uh, we're very happy that it uh, ended up being a fun feature. But also, as as I mentioned and as you've mentioned, uh, it's also used for puzzles in a few places in the game. So it's not for fun. Uh, so it has like two birds with one stone <laughs> feature. Uh, what actually is your uh, favorite scene in the game in uh, Crowns and Pawns? Um, and if you could describe it, would be great. My personal favorite? Mm -hmm. um, uh, how much can I spoil? Oh, um, hmm, maybe not too much, just in case people haven't played it yet. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, my favorite is probably a certain church that you visit late in the game in nighttime <laughs> so i guess for the players that haven't played it i haven't spoiled too much but for the ones who did i guess they will probably know what i'm talking about okay so it's uh yeah for me it's it it, it looks uh, quite epic and I, I i personally liked how the artists solved the um the atmosphere uh, because as i mentioned it's in nighttime so uh, so it's um it's uh, quite atmospheric and uh, has high contrast and stuff like that so i kind of i kind of always like entering that place and seeing it for the first time well not for the first time obviously but <laughs> i feel like I'm seeing it for the first time every time i go there which, uh, which i love but I, I would say that there's a lot of uh, cool scenes in the game, and that's actually one thing that uh, that we did with this game is we didn't have a lot of scenes. It's not like a huge world to explore, but we tried to make every scene count. We tried to make every scene uh, pretty. We tried to put uh, puzzles in every scene to add characters and uh, things to do in every scene. So. So I would say that every 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 environment, every room that you enter, uh, for me is uh, has its own uh, charm and has its own something I don't know something unique uh, that you can see in every scene. So I w I wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't like uh, emphasize any of the of the specific scene because I think we 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 kind of try to make every one of them uh, interesting. The the story mostly takes place in uh, Lithuania, where you guys are also from. Yes. And before you've said uh, that uh, some things in the game are fiction, like I don't think Mulder exists, right? Yes. Yes, she doesn't. <laughs> but some things are also real. Um, what's fake and what's not? Well, the characters are mostly fake or like fictional, although there is one uh, 
sports fan here in Lithuania uh, that inspired us uh, to add the sports fan in the game. <laughs> so that one is quite uh, closely based on a real person, but it's obviously the name and, and, and even the looks are uh, different from reality. But uh, other than that, the characters are uh, are not um, like based on real people, but uh, they're based on some I don't know some stereotypes that we have here in Lithuania or some features that we wanted to express and show in the game um, to the players. So they're they're fictional, but they're based on reality <laughs> one way or another. Uh, and then the the places, a lot of the places are actually real. So the places that you visit in, in, here in Lithuania, uh, Vilnius University, uh, then uh, the streets in the old town, uh, they are real. Then the Chicago uh, square that you visit uh, in the beginning of the game is obviously the real, uh, the real deal. Uh, there are a few real places in one of the other countries that you visit. I don't want to spoil, but <laughs> there's a couple other countries that you visit in the game. So uh, they have uh, some real places as well. But there's also quite a few uh, fictional ones, like most of the uh, apartments that you go into in the game are, are fake. <laughs> So it's not your own apartment. <laughs> no, no, it's not. I don't live in Chicago. Okay, <laughs> but, that's true. But yeah, but the, the apartments here in in Vilnius in Lithuania they are also not uh, not real. We just wanted to put them in those specific places in the city, or make them look in 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 a specific way. So they're not uh, they're not real. Some of the uh, Places that you see towards the end of the game, they are also uh, fictionalized heavily or completely <laughs> fictionalized. Um, so, but I guess I assume the players uh, kind of make the distinction there because it's 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 towards the end of the game. It's quite obvious which places are are, are real and which one uh, which ones aren't. Most of them, most of them are still based on on research. They're based on on even though they're not there in in in, in the real world, um, you could read something like that in some some of the historical texts or something. So we just obviously we had some creative liberties there, but we tried to kind of add something something real even in the fictionalized. Location. It's so great that you uh, show something from from your country and from the uh, capital Vilnius. Uh, that that's for me so great playing this game um, and getting to know a bit of Lithuania, um, especially if um, you don't know much about it, like me. Um, it, it's so cool to kind of visit uh, the country and the city, um, and uh, also to see the University of Vilnius. And uh, although I'm not religious, I was fascinated by these old and really colorful churches uh, where you have to solve some puzzles and um, you really drew them like they are in real life, right? Well, we tried to capture the, the beautiful details that are there, but we also kind of romanticized them a little bit. Uh, the game is also not completely realistic. It's, uh, it has a little bit of cartoon uh, in it. So... Um, we stylized them, stylized them a little bit, and 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 uh, as I mentioned, we added a lot of sunny, uh, sunny atmosphere in the daytime scenes, and then the nighttime scenes are also uh, kind of um, saturated, I would say, but just to make them, uh, <laughs> I don't know, more romantic and more interesting to to visit. Okay, I see. Actually, the details uh, of the churches, of the streets, uh, of other places, they are pretty, pretty accurate, which <laughs> our uh, main artist wasn't very happy about that because there's okay. a lot of a lot of details in some of the places. But why wasn't he happy? Because it's just a lot of work to actually 
draw every ornament in a church or every detail of every building in the street. Okay. Um, it's 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 sometimes easier to to draw something uh, like from from a fantasy game where yeah you can just add random details and they look good. Of course, they have to be they have to be convincing, but they're still more random than a real place. But it was it was quite a lot of work. Uh, I mean, everybody's happy with the result, but the. In the process, uh, there was some swearing, I, I, I suppose. Was it also a lot of work uh, with all these historical facts? Of course, um, there are some um, in the game. Like, there's also, I would say, one of the main focuses, like, um, focusing on historical facts. Like, uh, the main character, Milda, she, does, um, covers, she, does, she discovers the story about a Lithuanian king who was never crowned because he died before the crown could reach him. That's a true story I heard. So did you kind of work together with a historian for the game or I don't know, did you read a lot of history books or how did you do it? We did do a lot of research. Uh, but so at, in the very beginning, uh, when we started looking for something interesting uh, to talk about in the game like this, Uh, we looked into some stories and uh, books here in Lithuania and we found one author. Uh, she's also kind of a historian. Uh, she, she does uh, guided tours and stuff like that, but also writes books about that. Uh, so we contacted her and uh, she helped us with the initial kind of set of facts uh, for the story of this game. Uh, which was uh, pretty neat and pretty helpful and useful to start with. Uh, but then our writer and uh, the rest of the team collectively took over and we did a lot of research over the years and um, read a lot of uh, sources, starting with books, uh, finishing with <laughs> Wikipedia, Uh, which doesn't have a lot of <laughs> a lot of facts about Lithuania, but sometimes you discover interesting things that uh, people uh, people write there, specific details that you wouldn't find uh, elsewhere. So, so there was a lot of research involved, and uh, most of the uh, historical facts that we mentioned in the game they are real, true facts. Um, but we also did some speculation in between. Like, um, I again, I don't want to spoil uh, too too much, but there are some objects <laughs> that we talk about in the game or show them in the game, um, and nobody knows where they are or how exactly they looked or whatever. Okay. So uh, we did some speculation from uh from from what historians think that uh, could have happened or how they could have looked uh some pictures uh, of of i don't know paintings and stuff where it could be accurate or it could not be accurate but you have to trust something so there were some uh, some some like <laughs> uh things or facts uh, fictionalized and like uh, interpolated between the real facts um and obviously the main idea is 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 uh, like it's a bit fantasized because it's a mystery game there's some uh, some fantasy some uh, i know i would even say magic involved um but uh, which is obviously uh, not that realistic but there are Sources that say that these facts could have been true. Yeah, that's really interesting. So I really liked that to um, not only see something of Lithuania, but also um, discover like some history of uh, the country. So that was pretty cool. We do see a lot of movies and uh, play a lot of games that take place uh, in the, so to say, regular places <laughs> in the world. And we we see a lot of I don't know Eiffel Tower or the Statue of Liberty or places like that, uh, but we don't hear a lot about smaller places that also have 
really interesting uh, histories and uh, really interesting uh, I don't know, places to visit and so on. So I really like the fact that more and more, especially indie developers are trying to kind of show their own uh, home countries and, and, and things like that. That, for example, um, did you know that Firewatch is based on a real place that one of the creators grew up in? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Really? I thought it's fake. Okay. <laughs> Many of it could be fake, but uh, but it's it's it, there's still a place like that in somewhere in uh, Wyoming, and uh, one of the one of the two lead uh, creators of Firewatch uh, uh, grew up there. At least that's what I read. And then there's other games like even the point and click genre, like for example. Uh, Gibbos, uh, which you probably know, they used some locations from Transylvania, uh, which is the place they, they, they are from. And then there's Saint Kotar, a game that's based uh, on Croatia. And, and, and so, yeah, there's quite a few games like that that actually show the countries where the developers are from. And I think it's really interesting because it's exotic to the rest of the world. Uh, but there are still interesting places and facts and, and, and stories that you can tell there. Also typical for point-and-click adventures, you have to solve a lot of puzzles. <laughs> and um, I really love doing that. Um, but uh, still here and there, there are many situations where I'm just desperate. And that also happened in Crowns and Pawns, I have to say. I haven't read any walkthroughs yet, so that's uh, something I really want to pull through by myself. Um, but yeah, I thought some puzzles are really quite hard uh, for me. Like, for instance, there's like this cat in the university. Hey, kitty. Ouch, feisty. Which uh, sits on a table and sits on an ID card I really need. And it always bites me when I reach out for the card. In my inventory, I've got this fish bagel and um, so I combined in my head okay cat plus fish equals ID card but no the <laughs> cat doesn't want to eat the bagel so that's just one of the puzzles I'm really stuck with um, but I'm pretty sure I'm getting there with a specific cat I can tell you that you have to do something else okay before the cat uh, goes somewhere else as well <laughs> all right but it's, it's, it's interesting, actually, that with, with some puzzles, I guess, in our game, but also other games as well, is that the player can get really stuck on something, uh, or I would even say fixated or something on something specific that they don't even need right now, but they desperately want to get it or to do it, and they try everything before trying anything else. <laughs> But sometimes you just have to let go. Maybe the situation will change. <laughs> so uh, this is one of those uh, one of those places. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought maybe I have to come back later or something. But yeah, it's true that because um, I I think I know where I have to use that ID card. Um, so yeah, you're so close, kind of, to the solution, and um, you just really want to grab it and uh, go on. But yeah, I think um, that's something for later. Um, but uh, I was wondering, what are other players saying? Are they also kind of struggling, like me? Throughout the development of the game, we try to make the uh, puzzles as varied as possible. So we added... Uh, uh, spatial puzzles, we added timed puzzles, we added just regular inventory combination puzzles, we added uh, puzzles in the environment, we added dialogue puzzles, and uh, like all kinds of uh, puzzles that uh, uh, that you can find in games like this, because there are different people, they like different uh, kinds of puzzles, and if you make all of them the same in the game, then a certain... A certain uh, audience will love the game but everybody else will think that it lacks something so we try to kind of give something to everyone and uh, the same goes to difficulty of puzzles uh, we try to make some of them easier at, especially in the beginning of the game even though <laughs> one time puzzle uh, proved to be quite 
tough for a lot of players. But uh, we did try to make um, the puzzles easier at first, then a bit more advanced uh, when the game progresses, and then slightly easier towards the end. Um, and I think that the balance is pretty good from what we've heard, because some people are struggling a lot. They say that this game is impossible, but there are other players that say that, well, I played this game in a few hours. I didn't get stuck anywhere. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> so uh, there's always the spectrum of players, uh, like really hardcore players that have played dozens or hundreds of uh, games like this, and they, they, they won't see any issues in a game like this. But there's also more casual players that uh, will start struggling with the first puzzle that they meet because they're not used to puzzles. We actually got some feedback from players like that. They say that it's my first uh, point-and-click adventure and it's pretty hard. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's fair, but uh, I guess it, it's, it's given because if it's your first game in that genre, you have to learn to play a game like that. Same with, I don't know, if you play uh, Quake or Unreal Tournament or uh, CSGO, it will be tough for you for the first time. So you have to learn the skills, you have to learn, you have to understand the genre, the mechanics, everything, and then it gets easier. So I guess, I guess there will definitely be players that will struggle uh, more or less, but there definitely are players that don't struggle at all in our game. So I would say that the balance is probably somewhere in the middle, and that's what we aim for. And I guess that's um, that's the best you can get because then it means that most of the players find the puzzles um, satisfactory. They're uh, challenging enough because if you make them too easy they're just not challenging they become boring and you just think that they're just there for you to click through which is not great uh, so you do need to have some challenge uh, but then what we wanted to do the main goal in the puzzles was to make them logical uh, so that when you finally solve them or even if you look at the at a walkthrough uh, you would feel that if you, I know, noticed a specific hint in a dialogue or uh, while exploring the environment, or if you gave it more thought or something like that, then you would have figured it out. So I guess that's, for us, it was the main goal, uh, that the puzzles would feel logical, even if you struggled with them uh, at first. Yeah, I think that's really important. I also played a, a puzzle game where it wasn't logical at all. And um, even if you thought about it really hard, you would have never um, yeah, solved, solved it. Uh, it's just by trial and error. And that's always... Um, that These are bad games, I think. So I think that some kind of logic has to be like some kind of hint or, um, as you said, in a dialogue that you kind of realize what to do. Actually... We've heard a couple of <laughs> we've heard a couple of players saying that puzzles are completely random and trial and error in prawns and pawns, but uh, <laughs> but we know that those players didn't uh, notice the hints because we we put the hints for every every puzzle that we thought might be a little more difficult or uh, might not be intuitive for everyone in the world because well. Everybody has different uh, perceptions of the world and different cultural backgrounds and so on. So we try to put at least a little hint for every situation like that. And I think that if you actually explore everything, you will find the hints for most of the puzzles in the game. So uh, many indie developers, they choose uh, early access for their games. Um, some say they want to get constant player feedback, uh, which helps them during development. Why didn't you choose early access for Crowns and Pawns? Well, that's, uh, that's a good question in a way that uh, a lot of players, uh, a, lot, a lot of developers uh, do use that. But I would say that for narrative games, uh, it's not that... Not that logical to go to early access because early access means that you have 
kind of a prototype, like a version that is playable, but it's not there yet. It doesn't have enough levels or enough I don't know, balance uh, or stuff like that. A game like this, you don't have more or less levels. You just have the game because it has the beginning and it has the end. Okay. And then uh, balancing is not that... Uh, not that easy. There's not a lot of places you can balance uh, from user feedback, so it doesn't make a lot of uh, a lot of sense to do a lot of user testing before the release because there is not much you can do about it. But um, in general, we did want to do more beta testing before the release, uh, but <laughs> we just it, it just took us longer to actually make everything for the game. So, uh, so we did we did do some closed testing uh, in the last uh, weeks before the release, and we actually did uh, fix um, some uh, not not huge, but some minor issues in the game. Uh, and uh, we would have been happy to actually have I know two or three months of beta testing with the players. Uh, having, I don't know, 50 people or so playing uh, through the game and giving us feedback. Uh, so that would be useful, but we just didn't have uh, enough time for that. But early access is, is, is not, I, I would say it's more uh, suitable for games uh, that have um, like updatable content, like, uh, like I mentioned, new levels or new campaigns or I don't know, balancing uh, updates and stuff like that. So simulation games, strategy games, uh, action games, all of those are, I think they can um, use early access much better than uh, an adventure game. Okay, I see. Um, so your game studio is called Tag of Joy, which you have founded with your brother. Um, how was it founded? How did you get the idea? When we were at school and we started playing adventure games, mostly, uh, and uh, we thought that, well, this is doable if you learn the right skills, like some programming, some art, some whatever, music and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and towards the end of school, <laughs> we started talking about the idea of having uh, business, a company that actually makes games. And then we studied, uh, we finished our studies, our bachelor and master degrees. And my brother was even in his PhD studies uh, at the time that we founded the company. And we said, of course, we gained some, uh, some work experience elsewhere and then said, well, this is probably the right time to actually make that business and and found that company and uh, we did in 2012 10 years ago almost wow congrats yeah it's amazing why the name tag of joy i wish i remembered specifically but it just sounded fun because uh, it has joy in it <laughs> and, uh, and the kind of a way that uh, you put a smile on a person or something like that so it just and it sounded good. It's it's short, but it has it has some kind of an idea in it. Yeah, and it's unique, I think. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, I haven't seen another company called like that. Uh, what did you do in the early stages of your studio? Like, on what projects uh, projects did you work on? Well, at first, we worked with mobile games quite a lot. Um, very very early on, we actually started with augmented reality. Uh, back then, it was not as advanced as it is now. There weren't that many frameworks that you could use uh, to actually track the environment or objects or stuff like that. It was really innovative, and uh, we wanted to try something out with that. We had this idea of making a, a, a Tamagotchi game in augmented reality in 2012 or so. Um, we actually won a few awards with, uh, with that prototype, uh, and then we, we moved on to, um, because that one used, a, a, a 
mark your tracking. So you had to print an image and stuff like that. But we thought that maybe something more accessible would be uh, more interesting. So we moved on to location-based augmented reality and uh, created Monster Buster World Invasion, which is a, a monster fighting and collecting game that you play outside on a map. So that's similar to Pokemon Go or something, right? So that is really similar to Pokemon Go. Okay. Uh, basically, when we started, uh, we actually had the idea around 2013 or so. And, uh, and we did think that let's make a Pokemon game in augmented reality. <laughs> and, uh, and we did, obviously, not with, uh, with Pokemon, but with our own monsters. And then uh, a lot of time later, <laughs> around 2016, I think, Pokemon Go was released uh, with uh, the same idea. Um, and we were happy and sad at the same time because they actually, they, they made augmented reality games mainstream. Yeah. And uh, like two months before Pokemon Go, Go was released, we had quite a lot of skepticism that uh, who is playing your game going outside? Nobody likes that. <laughs> Everybody just likes to sit on the couch. And we, we told them, we have a lot of players, a lot of people love that, families love that, uh, because parents can go outside with their kids and play a game there. Uh, so, um, and then Pokemon Go uh, was released and uh, uh, people changed their minds. But that's amazing. So Monster Buster was in stores before Pokemon Go? Obviously, it wasn't uh, as popular uh, because we didn't have the, the, the brand and all the marketing budget that they did. Um, but, uh, but Monster Buster was uh, the first game like that uh, on the market and uh, we were quite proud of it. Yeah, that's your idea, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, actually, it was, it was a big project and we released it and... Uh, yeah, over the years, the mobile market actually changed a lot because uh, a lot of ad-based games uh, started getting more popular because people just like free stuff and they don't mind watching an ad once in a while. Uh, but we wanted to create something that uh, would have... I don't want to... Um, I, I don't want to say more value, but more value in the in the in the thing that you actually get from the store. Because the free games you have to you have to grind a lot, or you have to buy additional content, uh, in-app purchases, or watch ads to get more more stuff more quickly. And we just wanted to make something that people would buy once, and they wouldn't have to care about uh, all the economics of the game. So, and we were fans of the point and click genre for a lot of time. Uh, we actually knew the uh, the writer that uh, wrote this game uh, was our uh, friend for I don't know how many years, uh, even before starting the project. So we knew that we would make a game like that <laughs> eventually. Uh, it took a bit of time, but. Around the around I don't know 2016 17, we thought that let's just focus on this and let's make a narrative a narrative game. Let's uh, let's make an adventure. Let's do it for uh, PC and consoles primarily. Maybe mobile later, but uh, PC and consoles are the the main platforms for for like uh, purchasable games, like one time purchase games. So Crowns and Pawns might be out on for mobile too at some point? Uh, that's possible. Uh, probably not very soon. <laughs> but it's, it's an option. We always uh, thought about uh, the touch interface. And I remember probably five or six years ago, I played uh, The Journey Down, uh, another indie point-and-click adventure by a Swedish company. Um, and I played one of the parts because it has three parts now. So I played one of the parts on an iPad and it was great. I just loved how the interface worked. I loved how 
how you interact with the game because you can play it just lying down somewhere or traveling or whatever. So, uh, so back then we decided that uh, we should probably think about the touch interface as well, even though it's really different from the mouse and keyboard interface, but uh, we did think uh, how it would work. We have some base, some technical base for it, but there's still a long, uh, a long way before we can actually um, finish that and release it on mobile. And we will focus on uh, consoles first because we also think that these games are great playing on a couch or on a Switch if you, if you also travel or something. So we will release it for consoles first and then definitely consider mobile. Okay. Is Crowns and Pawns also available for Steam Deck? It doesn't support it like officially, but it is playable. People have mentioned that uh, that they they managed to play it without any issues. So indie studios they always um, have to look for support. Um, like from the um, episodes we've done so far, um, that's always one of the bigger issues. Um, to get their name out and uh, to look for publishers, pitch their projects, and um, also look for financial support somewhere. So who's supporting you at the moment? So for Crowns and Pawns, we do have a publisher. So um, we talked to a lot of publishers and publishers that released uh, adventure games before. Um, we had quite a few partners that we wanted to work with and uh, one of them finally uh, said let's do it <laughs> and uh, yeah so the publisher obviously helps with the marketing and with getting getting the game to a specific platforms because they have contacts and they have uh, people that can adapt uh, posters and covers for <laughs> different uh, formats and different stores uh, so I would say that a publisher for an indie studio is 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 very useful. Of course, you can self-publish, but there's a lot of additional work involved there. Um, so we are happy that we had um, we had a publisher, and uh, uh, they did a great job helping us out with the release, and they will keep helping us out with other releases in the future. So. So yeah, I think, and I, I don't think it's 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 any. There's nothing special about it. A lot of, as you mentioned, a lot of indie developers look for help like that. Um, uh, financially, I would also mention that uh, we had some uh, European Union support. There's this program called uh, Creative Europe, uh, which supports games specifically. Uh, even The Witcher got some uh, finances for that, uh, even for the third part, which was already a big thing. But, um, but uh, I mean, if they can experiment, it's a cultural game as well. They show a lot of Poland and, and, and its, uh, its myths and, and stories. So I guess, uh, I guess it makes sense that uh, the EU supports projects like that. And uh, Cons and Pawns was also uh, supported by the same program. And then uh, we got a bit of money from uh, the local government as well, uh, uh, because they give, uh, they give some support to the project, projects that actually get the Creative Europe funding. <laughs> so, um, so they co-fund uh, those projects a little bit as well. So those funds didn't... Uh, cover all the expenses, uh, they covered maybe half of it, but it's still really good for a company like ours because um, even though there is some uh, additional paperwork involved, uh, but uh, I would say that it helped us a lot with uh, making the decision to actually experiment with the history uh, facts and, and, and stories and the locations. And because at first you're not sure if the world will like it, if the world will think that, hey, something about Lithuania, is it interesting for the people or is it just something uh, that they don't want to hear about? So uh, funds like that actually help uh, take that risk 
and experiment and uh, uh, kind of make the financial uh, uh, financial burden easier. <laughs> so we're happy about that. And uh, yeah, and uh, we 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 try to like gather the the funding from uh wherever we can we do a bit of outsourcing as well so hopefully hopefully we will focus more and more on our own original projects in the future uh now that we've released our biggest project to date <laughs> <laughs> and we will continue making adventure games as well as uh experimenting in other genres and moving forward like that how is actually the situation in uh, Lithuania for indie developers? Like, um, is there enough support for them? Or what's the gaming industry in general like there? I would say that it's really good for a small country like ours. Um, we didn't have uh, the, like, the means and uh, the possibilities to do it uh, when the Western countries could do it, because we didn't have access uh, when Lithuania was in the Soviet Union. We didn't have access to uh, um, the Western media, so we, we couldn't uh, play at all, a lot of the games or get the computers or a lot of other things that, uh, that people in the US or the UK or Germany or anywhere else uh, or a lot of other places in the world that had access to it. But uh, with all that in mind, I think the gaming industry progressed really well. Um, the oldest games, uh, game development studio in Lithuania is uh, already over 20 years old, I think. And so, and there's quite a few other companies, uh, indie studios, as well as bigger ones. And just recently, maybe a year or two ago, Wargaming moved their uh, headquarters here to Lithuania. So we have AAA studios now as well. Uh, even though, like historically, Lithuania was uh, mostly mobile game development country. And even though at first uh, some people try to try to make games for consoles and uh, personal computers, and the oldest company that I mentioned, they also worked on uh, Shrek games and Barbie games and uh, um, games like that for bigger studios. How's that company called? Uh, it's called North Current. Mm -hmm. So it's it's pretty big on mobile now. So when mobile came, uh, they moved to mobile pretty successfully. Uh, then other companies uh, started using Unity back then, and Unity was very good on mobile. So uh, quite a few new companies just started with mobile games uh, at first. So the first five or six years uh, on the, I would say, on the rise of, of, of the industry, which was around 2010, 2012, uh, so most of the companies were actually mobile game companies here, but now we have quite a few PC companies and uh, console game companies, and uh, as I mentioned, even AAA companies now. So I would say that uh, the gaming industry is doing pretty good here. Okay, cool. <laughs> Talking a bit about you, uh, when did you actually start uh, developing games, like um, in school back then? Did start uh, when when I was still in school. So as I mentioned before, my brother and I we started talking about making games and what skills we need. So he he moved to programming pretty quickly, and he liked that. I started with art uh, at first, at least uh, more to that towards that direction. And I was looking for projects. I joined a couple of like smaller ones here, but then I found Broken Sword 2.5, <laughs> which was a fan-made game uh, somewhere in Germany. <laughs> and uh, I thought, well, there's internet, I can join that team uh, remote, even though most of the team was actually remote even back then. 
And I joined that uh, that team, and uh, maybe half a year or a year later, I became uh, the art director of that game. Wow. Okay. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was still probably in the eleventh or twelfth grade. Oh, it's crazy. Okay. <laughs> but uh, since it was a really young team and a lot of people that it was their first project, they just were really open to any people that showed initiative. And uh, since I was at school, I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, so, um, so yeah, so I, 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 I worked on that project. It was really, it was a really interesting experience and learned a lot. And uh, one of the reasons that <laughs> Broken Sword was one of the, one of the big influences to Crimes and Pawns because um, we just wanted to use that experience that I gained there in our project as well. And I actually met our composer in that project as well. Uh, so the composer is Daniel Faros, and he's a German composer. He has won uh, awards for uh, point-and-click game music. Um, he has written uh, music for the Dalek games and, and, and some other games. So yeah, so that was probably kind of a big breakthrough, not, not that much professionally because it was a fan-made game. It was a, a non-commercial project. We didn't make any money uh, for that game, but it was a really good learning experience. And, uh, and we actually released it in 2008 and then released english uh, voices in 2010 and uh, then i moved to other things and a couple of years later we founded our own company what would you say worked uh, really well in your life as a developer and what maybe didn't as a game developer and probably most of the people that work in this industry the best thing is actually seeing your product out and seeing people enjoying it and uh, seeing people that like your creation. It's still a creative industry. Uh, it's not, it's not like super technical. It's not super, um, uh, mathematical. You never know if something that you do, uh, will be liked by other people. Uh, so when you actually finish something and uh, and release it and see that people enjoy it, I think that's probably the best thing that you can get from a creative industry. And uh, for me as well, it's uh, it's probably the most satisfying <laughs> moment every time. Um, one of the hardest things as a developer and uh, as a game developer specifically is probably the process sometimes uh, because you start um, really really fast you prototype you have something quite quickly usually but then there's a few years of just grinding and adding new stuff features content stuff like that and um, at times it can get pretty difficult and tough and uh, but then you release it and then the joy uh, comes back and then you want to make something new <laughs> and then you go through the same process again so that's a tag of joy <laughs> so that's yeah then you get the tag of joy for yourself <laughs> the tag of joy for everyone that played the game <laughs> Is there uh, a moment um, in your life in the games industry that you'll always remember? I wouldn't name one thing. I can't remember any one thing, uh, but I do remember many <laughs> happy things. Uh, so again, releasing games uh, before, releasing Crowns and Pawns just recently. Um, I still remember when I joined Broken Sword 2.5 and I learned a lot there and I remember drawing my first background for that game. It was, I mean, now it doesn't sound terrific or <laughs> exceptional, but back then it was really exciting to see something uh, that, you, that you made in a game like that. What kind of background was it? Uh, I think it was one of the backgrounds that we took from the first Broken Sword. So probably Hotel Ubu. Yeah. 
so we did redraw them because uh, the first broken sword used uh, 640 pixels uh, in width and uh, I think 420 in height, probably. And we did upscale the resolution to 800 in width <laughs> and yeah. 600 in height. So we did have to redraw all the backgrounds for that. Okay. <laughs> I love that. So now nowadays it's it sounds funny, but back then it was HD. <laughs> yeah, crazy times, uh, and it's actually not so long ago. Um, so that's pretty amazing. It is. It is not so long ago. Yeah, and actually from 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 the interesting and and like happy moments as a developer, I love meeting other developers in in events. I love meeting other indie developers. I love actually meeting uh, industry veterans like Charles Cecil is, for example, a really nice guy. It's always fun to talk to him uh, about projects, about the industry, or just about weather or anything. Uh, it's it's really nice uh, that uh, we are in contact with Bill Tiller, who is a really uh, cool guy with like tens of uh, years of experience and uh, it's 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 nice that everyone in this industry is really down to earth and um, you can talk to anybody you can get some insights or just have fun with people like that but that as i mentioned it's it's also really cool to meet uh, developers of your own age or even younger to see what they're doing and um, I guess, I guess, I guess, I just love being in this industry. I love, uh, I love working in this industry. I love uh, networking in this industry. I love, uh, I don't know, reading about this industry or playing games or making them. So I just like <laughs> a lot of things about being a game developer. Do you maybe have any advice for other indie developers who are maybe just are starting out or working on the first project? Probably the first thing that uh, every developer has to learn is even though you have to have fun in what you're making and like make games that you enjoy making, but you also always have to think about the player. You can't make a game just for yourself, like balance it for yourself and, and, and just try to make a game that you would love playing. You have to think about the people that uh, if is there enough players that are gonna play the game like that? Is it gonna be too e not too easy or not too hard for the people that are gonna play it? Uh, are they gonna like the art style? Are they gonna like the the story? Or if it's I know if it's an action game, are they gonna enjoy um, what you do in that game? So I guess a lot of people start by making games for themselves. Which is nice and a good good learning experience, but at some point you have to think about the players and uh, try to make a game that as many people will enjoy as you can. But also, as I mentioned, at the same time you have to think about what you enjoy making. So you have to balance those uh, two things and uh, enjoy the life of a developer. <laughs> So uh, to sum up, Crowns and Pawns, Kingdom of Deceit, uh, your new point-and-click adventure um, is out now for PC. Um, consoles and mobile um, coming, mobile maybe. <laughs> yes. um, are you happy how it turned out? Really happy. A lot of people uh, are giving us a lot of uh, praise and a lot of uh, positive feedback. Uh, even the critics are really positive. Uh, we were really waiting for the adventuregamers.com review <laughs> <laughs> because that's that's the outlet uh, that defines uh, like makes or breaks uh, your game. Um, so they gave us four stars out of five and a really positive review. Wow! So <laughs> that means that we made uh, something good. So we are really happy about that, and there's uh, quite a lot of players already playing it, and hopefully will play in the future so yes happy are you actually already working on the next project yes <laughs> uh, but uh 
Actually, we are still working on crowns and pawns a little bit. We still have to make one or two improvements in that game. So we will release uh, a couple of updates there. Um, we have one or two <laughs> unannounced projects, but uh, they're probably not going to be announced very soon. And we have another completely different project in the works that is more of an experimental uh, project for us. It's, it's in a different genre, but since we liked experimenting uh, throughout the existence of the company, as I mentioned, we worked with augmented reality and uh, with uh, different genres, uh, including even educational games, which are always a challenge because uh, you have to kind of find the balance between interesting and uh, informative. So uh, we did uh, have quite a lot of experience in different types of games. Uh, and that's why we are making that game as well, because it's uh, an interesting new experiment for us. But we still love the narrative genre and adventures, and we will keep making them and uh, hopefully announce something uh, in the future. <laughs> Not near future, probably, but uh, um, I would say that 99% that we will release another adventure game in the future. That's other project, this experimental one. You can't tell us which genre yet? It's actually already on Steam. So uh, you can uh, under the name of uh, King of the Dwarves. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of a management slash simulation game where you dig dungeons, but... Uh, the innovation is that you dig not in a flat world, like, for example, Dungeon Keeper, uh, but you actually dig in, in a 3D world. So you can dig uh, up and sideways and wherever you want. And uh, that's probably the main challenge to the developers and to the players of that game. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's, it's quite early in development, uh, but you can already find and wishlist wish it on Steam. Okay, pretty cool. I'll check it out. <laughs> Shagunas, thanks so much for your time and for all these insights uh, and uh, to get to know a little bit more about Lithuania and uh, your studio. And we wish you all the best and thanks. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.